Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now we're going to focus this week especially on verse 3. For you died, and your life is now, at this moment, hidden with Christ in God. We need to understand what that means and what the implications of that are for our lives. Now, turn back to Ephesians. We pray just now that God would strengthen us in our spirits, that we would have strong spirits. And this is what Paul prays when he's praying for the Ephesians. He says in verse 16, I pray, chapter 3, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Your inner being is not your soul. Your inner being is your spirit, your human spirit. So he's praying that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, We know that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts to the division of soul and spirit. It's going to be important this week for us to understand what God is wanting to do in us to see the distinction between soul and spirit how God wants to strengthen you in his spirit. Now, if we take this chair to represent your spirit and this chair to represent your soul, Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit, who already lives within your spirit, when you were born again, he brought your human spirit, your natural spirit, to life with his spirit. But he's praying that your spirit will become stronger. Why? Because the stronger your spirit, the more fully at one yielded to the Holy Spirit, the more your spirit or his spirit working through your spirit will impact your soul life, which is your natural life. 
as you know, this is your mind, your emotions, your will, your natural being, your natural state. Here, of course, we have the supernatural presence, power of the Holy Spirit. So what Paul is praying is be strong in the Spirit so that your soul life is kept under the constant influence of the Holy Spirit. Because unless that happens, the natural soul life rises up automatically and takes control. The nature of the soul is to want to be in charge. So you want to be in charge of your own life. The nature of the Spirit of God is to want to be in control. So ultimately, we all have to make a decision. What is going to be the controlling power in my life? My soul life or the Spirit of God? What most Christians settle for, as we saw last term, was a kind of compromise where in some ways the Spirit is in control, in some ways self is in control. But that's not the outworking of the good news that we read about. That's people settling for the permissive will rather than for the sovereign will of God. But we should have all that pretty clear in our understanding by now. Okay, turn to Matthew chapter 13. Now, this is a wonderful chapter all about the kingdom of God. And you remember that Jesus said to the disciples, Fear not, little flock, your Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. And in Luke 17, Jesus explains that you cannot discern the kingdom of God by seeing it. You can't say it's over here or over there, for the kingdom of God is within you. So where is the kingdom? It's within your spirit, not in your soul. It's not in your body, except that, of course, your body <coughs> encapsulates your spirit and soul. So here in your spirit, you have the Holy Spirit, God wanting to strengthen you in spirit. You have the kingdom of God. My kingdom is within you, Jesus told the disciples. And we know that the secret of the Christian life is Christ in you. He's not in your soul. He comes to indwell your spirit. So here, in your human spirit, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit, not a matter of talk, but of power. So you have all the authority and the power of the kingdom of God. You have Christ himself. 
the one who is everywhere present in the heavenlies, is now not a man, of course, but it's spirit, and the spirit of the risen, glorified Christ is in you. Now, in this chapter 13, Jesus gives a series of parables. It's just uh, one of them we want to look at, a very short one, one verse this morning, verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. You have a very large amount of soul life. Everybody in the world around us is living a soulish kind of life. But what Jesus says is the kingdom is like God putting leaven, yeast, into your spirit. Now, when you are making bread, you only need a very small amount of yeast. And then you prove the bread, you you leave it to stand in warm place, and the yeast works through the whole dough. So what Jesus is saying is that little bit of yeast, that seed of the kingdom, that gift of the spirit, that presence of Christ in your spirit that is imparted to you by God through his mercy and grace, that is to work through the whole dough of your life so that every aspect of your spirit is infused with the life of the spirit, is filled, is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now that's the will and the purpose of God. And this is why Jesus says later in in this chapter, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. You see, you cannot see the kingdom within you. In fact, you cannot see what is in your spirit. What is in your soul becomes obvious by the things that you say and do. But you cannot see what is in the spirit. So the kingdom of God is like this treasure hidden in a field, hidden in your spirit. But so valuable that the man went and sold everything he had that he might possess the treasure. And then, of course, another similar parable in the next verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. But what 
concerns God is not that we know this, but how this is actually working or being outworked effectively in our lives. How far that yeast is actually affecting the whole dough of your life personally. And of course, corporately, in kingdom faith, how much that leaven is affecting the whole corporate life of kingdom faith. But that's going to be dependent upon how the individual people that make up the body of kingdom faith, how the, the, the dough of their lives is, is being affected by this leaven of the kingdom within. And one of the prophetic words that we were looking at last term uh, about Jesus, about Messiah in Isaiah, is the government is upon his shoulders. And he says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Where is God going to govern in your life? You see, he has to govern from within. Everything he does in your life, he does from within. So Christ is in your spirit. What is the kingdom? It's not a place. You can't say it's over here or over there. It's wherever he rules and reigns. So Christ is in you. His kingdom is within you that he might rule and reign in your spirit. And if what is in your spirit is going to work through the whole lump of dough, then the rule and the reign of God is going to be expressed in your soul life, in your natural life, and therefore in your body also. Are we all there? We've got it all? Okay. So, what needs to concern us is how is this effectively going to happen? We would all say that to a certain extent it is already happening. But we would also be aware that what God has imparted to us in the spirit, Christ in us, the kingdom within us, what does Paul say? God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's all part of the deposit that God has given to us spiritually. And we would all have to admit, well, there is something of the Spirit that has been revealed in my soul life, but there's so much more of the Spirit that needs to be revealed in my life. There's so much more of the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ, of his kingdom, that is to be expressed in my life. Because the more of the life of that kingdom, the greater our authority and the power of God in our lives when we pray, when we speak, when we act in his name. There's a lot of Christians that are very heavy on talk, but they lack the power. And according to the scripture, that's because they're religious rather than spiritual. 
very critical people, often very critical of those that are moving in the spirit. They always got something negative to say about them. Instead of understanding that if you are truly spiritual, you haven't got time for that kind of stuff. You're too intent on ensuring that the presence of Jesus, the life and power of his kingdom is being revealed and manifested in your life. Never mind what is happening in other people's lives. Okay, so what is revival? People have many ways of describing revival. Revival is really when the soul life is just under total dominion, total domination, if you like, of of the spirit, of the Holy Spirit working through the spirit. And, you know, people think that revival is God suddenly turning up, you know, and wonderful spiritual things happening. But we know that God prepares very carefully for his suddenlies. And those of you that have been studying revival and moves of God and moves of holiness and so on uh, in your essays, which were actually remarkably good, praise God, um, they, they, uh, you will see that there's always prayer, always God doing much in the hearts and the lives of people to prepare them for the great ways in which he uses them. Things don't just happen suddenly. Which is why, you know, Paul says, don't lay hands on people hastily. Uh, don't, you know, don't set them apart for ministry too quickly. They need to be in the right place where they've been prepared and ready for the ways in which God is wanting to use them. Which, of course, is why you're here at the college. So, how is all this going to be effected in our lives so that we do become a revived people where the Spirit of God is breaking out all around us, wherever we are, whatever we do? Harvest taking place. Well, let's do what we always have to do to begin with, and that's look at Jesus and actually keep our focus on Jesus. How did all this work out in Jesus' life when he was here on earth? Because he demonstrated the life of the kingdom perfectly. He preached about the kingdom. He demonstrated the works of the kingdom Every time you see a miracle happen, that is the evidence of the presence of the kingdom. Every time a person is healed, that's further evidence of the presence of the kingdom, and so on. With Jesus, that was consistent. With most, even uh, of believers who are living by faith, it looks much more spasmodic. Sometimes you see the miraculous, sometimes you see the healing, but sometimes you see failure. We can't dress it up and call it anything else, but we fail to see the life and the power and the victory of the kingdom being expressed in the way that God desires. You can see this, for example, when 
Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, when he was up there, there was a, uh, the three disciples he took, Peter, James, and John, had this amazing experience of seeing the body, if we had another chair for the body, even the body of Jesus radiating the glory that he had in his spirit. But remember, he emptied himself of the glory when he became man. So he was dependent upon his relationship with the Father for the glory of God to be revealed in his life and for the glory of God to be revealed through the things that he was doing in the name of his Father. So we know that everything that Jesus was doing was not for himself or for his own glory, but was for the glory of the Father. And he could do all that perfectly because his soul life was so submitted to his spirit that he never initiated anything from himself. And you've heard me endlessly say that to you. You know that he spoke no words of his own from his soul that he could do nothing of himself from his soul, that he did only what he saw his father doing with his spirit. So we see it all being worked out perfectly in Jesus. And we are in him and he is in us, but we need to understand the principles by which Jesus has made it possible for us to live the kind of spiritual life that he intends. Now, this has to be a matter of faith. Because all God's purposes are fulfilled through faith, faith working through love, but the faith is absolutely essential. Which is why Jesus said on several occasions, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Now, we immediately have to understand that there are two types of faith that Christians can have. Soulish faith or spiritual faith. Many Christians pray soulishly. In other words, what they pray is what they decide to pray out of their reason and understanding. Many words, telling God what to do, that is soulish prayer. It's soulish prayer because it begins with the soul, it begins with the self, it begins with you. But the scripture says, pray at all times in the spirit. That doesn't mean that you pray only in tongues, because Paul says, you know, I pray with the spirit, I pray with the mind also. What it means is that all prayer that is effective comes from the spirit, not from the soul. And that therefore, the spirit is the initiator of the prayer. The Holy Spirit tells you what to pray and gives you the faith with which to believe that what he's telling you can be spoken into existence. So you see in the ministry of Jesus that he went apart to have fellowship with his father. And then when it came to the business of 
actually seeing the power of God impact people's lives, his way of praying was to speak with authority. Get up and walk. Be opened. Even to raise the dead. Lazarus, come out. But you see, before he prayed that, Jesus could look up to heaven and say, Father, thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me. Why? Because he'd done the business in the spirit, being one with the Father, so that he could have absolute confidence that no matter what was going to happen to him during the course of a day, the spirit would work through his soul life because what people saw what they touched, if you like, when they experienced him was the soul life in Jesus' body. But of course, that soul life was so impacted, so under the power of the Spirit, that Jesus could just speak and it was done. Now, this, of course, is God's ideal for us. When, when Jesus sent the disciples out, even even during the course of his earthly ministry, he said, go and preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Now the spirit of God and the kingdom was not, the, the spirit of God was not living in them in the way that of course would happen after the resurrection uh, and Jesus returned to heaven when the spirit of God came to live in them on the day of Pentecost. But Jesus was obviously sending them out with the anointing. And even though the Spirit wasn't living in them, the Spirit was working with them. So Jesus was in, in, in effect saying, go out with faith and trust in the Spirit to work with you so you can do the same things that I'm doing. You can preach, you can heal, you can even raise the dead, you can cast out demons. And the 72, you see, came back amazed that even the demons submitted to them. This was a different understanding of prayer and of how God could really work through them or through anybody because this was to them an entirely fresh and new revelation. But of course what Jesus was concerned to do was not just to send a number of disciples out during his earthly ministry, but to make it possible for all those who would become disciples to live in the same way. Not just with the Spirit working with them, but they would be filled with the Spirit so the Spirit could work from within them and enable them to do the same things as he's doing. So Jesus, to Jesus it's not a monumental statement to say anyone who believes in me would do the same things as I've been doing. To Jesus, that's, well, of course, you wouldn't expect anything else, would you? That if you have faith in me, well, of course, you would do the same things. And because I'm going to the Father and the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, then you would do even greater things. Of course. What could be more normal? Not natural, but normal. It's supernatural, but normal to Jesus. <clears throat> so, okay, that's Jesus' expectation. So why don't we see it? Or see this being more fully realized? How does God 
intend all this to work in our lives? The answer to that is in this verse that we're going to keep coming back to this week. Colossians 3.3 You have died and your life is now, 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 now hidden with Christ in God. Okay. The first statement. You have died. When Jesus became man, we know that he identified with us in our human condition totally. Philippians 2, he emptied himself of his divine glory when he became man, all the glory that he had in heaven. The scripture says he made himself nothing. We in our humanity compared to God are nothing. I mean, even the nations are as like a drop in a bucket or dust upon the scales. So Jesus shared the poverty of our humanity. He became poor so that through his poverty we might be made rich. It doesn't mean he was poor financially, but he shared the poverty of our humanity. He therefore had to live in complete dependence upon the Father to accomplish the mission that the Father had sent him to accomplish. And Jesus understood that it was totally necessary for him to become totally identified with us in our condition. And our condition was to be sinners separated from God. Now, he was not going to live a life of separation from the Father, as is clear from what we've already said. But the reason why he submitted to John's baptism before the Spirit of God came upon him was because he was identifying completely with our condition, yet without becoming a sinner himself. And he needed to live in complete dependence upon the Father in the days of his humanity. So we see Jesus discipling a group of people, encouraging them to receive the gift of the kingdom and to demonstrate the life of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. But of course, Jesus knew that he had to do whatever was going to be necessary in order for that kingdom life 
to continue after he had returned from heaven, that of the increase of God's government there would be no end. That what he would do would be to leave behind him a spiritual people who could carry on the spiritual purpose of God in the world. Because God is spirit, all his purposes are spiritual. Are you with me? So, he did whatever was necessary to make that happen. And we know that that involved him sacrificing his life on the cross. And one of the rich things that God did in our lives last, week, last term was to show us all that he has accomplished in his blood, that through that washing of the blood, we are made as acceptable to God the Father as Jesus himself is. That through that washing of the blood, those of us who are being made holy are made, have already been made perfect in God's sight. That through the washing of that blood, we have that, that position of perfection before God, of being totally identified with the one who has saved us. Now, what does this mean? It means that Jesus identified completely with us so that now we are completely identified with him. But we're not identified with him simply in his humanity. We're identified with him in his divinity. We're identified with him in heaven. Our lives are now hidden with Christ in God, in heaven, in glory. Are we getting this? So Jesus came and identified with us that we might be completely identified with him. Are you there? So where does that identification begin? It begins on the cross. Now, we talked a lot last term about the blood, but I'm talking now about the cross. You see, Colossians 3, 3, you have died. That's a statement of historic fact. Talking to the believers in Colossae, you have died. Now, if you have died, you cannot put yourself to death. Hello? Are there any believers in this room? So you have to accept by faith, not soulish faith, because soulish faith will tell you you haven't really died. And the devil will encourage soulish faith and encourage you to believe that you haven't really died. Whereas the Spirit and the Word work together to enforce you, not to make you, but to encourage you 
to know in your spirit, I have died. Now, what has died? Not your spirit, because that was already dead. You. Who are you? Well, your soul. That is you, your life. Remember, in Greek, the word suke can be translated soul or spirit. Uh, sorry, soul or life. It's the same word. So every time you, you read about God's life or soul, it's all the same. Soul life. Put the two together. Your soul life is your natural life. So you have died. Your soul life. Died. Now wait a minute. If you don't have a soul life, you can't exist. So, if Jesus caused your soul life to die, he would also have to resurrect it or you couldn't exist. So, you were completely identified with him in his cross So that now your soul life can be completely identified with him in his resurrection. In his risen life. Now here's the point. Most Christians express, even Christians express in their soul life their natural life instead of his risen life. But what God has done for you is taken you to the cross, so you have died, and now your soul life is to express the risen life, not your own selfish, self-centered soulishness. Everybody breathing still. So, the only way to be identified with him in his risen life is to be fully identified with him in his cross. You can't have resurrection without death first. So, the reason why so little of the risen life is seen in some Christians is because they're never fully identified with Christ in the cross, in their faith. Can we understand this? Now, of course, it's not just the risen life, 
because Jesus, after rising from the dead, ascended to heaven. So we are completely identified with him, not only in his risen life, but also in his ascended life. Which is why the scripture says that God sees us seated with Christ in heavenly places. Why? Because we are completely 100% identified with him in his risen, ascended, glorified life. Now! Our lives hidden with Christ in God. Wonderful. So where is this life? I mean, why isn't more of this life visible in the outworking of what believers say and do? And the answer to that is very simple. It begins with the first part of this verse. You have died. What we saw at the beginning of the first term, when we looked at what um, Paul was teaching the Romans, is that what we have to do is to reckon ourselves as dead. Jesus took you to the cross. As Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. I, my natural soul life, no longer lives, but now Christ lives in my soul life. Because I submit my soul life to his spirit, this life of the spirit is working in my soul life. So the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's all about Christ in me. Are you all breathing? Now, In experience, you can only reveal the risen life in as much as you believe in the cross life that you have died. The problem is this. The nature of the soul is always to want to control. Which is why Jesus says, in your flesh, in your flesh life, in your natural life, in your soul life, there's nothing good. Christians are always wanting to think there's something good about me. There must be something good about me. I mean, I've got to live a good life. There must be something good. There must be, must be something good about me. And Jesus says, 
God alone is good. That in your flesh life, in your natural life, there's nothing good. Nothing good about you. God looks at you in your natural life and he sees nothing good. Now, can the soul life do good things? Well, what the world considers good, you can give to the poor, you can love people, even quite sacrificially, doctors, nurses. You can do all kinds of what we would call good works. But that's got nothing to do with being a Christian. Buddhists can do that. Humanists can do that. Communists can do that. Atheists can do that. Those are just the good qualities of the natural being. But all that is good in God's eyes is what comes from the Spirit, not what comes from man. So all those good things, loving, serving, blessing, giving, yes, let Christians do them, but from the Spirit, not just from their natural ability. So there's the dynamic of God in what they're doing. You see, a humanist can can be very concerned about refugees or people and, and they can give their lives. They can go and serve in refugee camps and you see the horrific newsreels of, of, of what it's like in those camps and you think, oh, you know, what cost these people are paying. But in fact, all they're doing is just helping people to a better life until they go to hell. Whereas you see in the purposes of God, there has to be the dynamic of the spirit that you're spreading the life of the kingdom. You're spreading the good news of the kingdom. You're not just giving people a better life on this earth. Good though that is at one hand, Jesus had a a, a purse of money to give to the poor, but you are concerned about their eternal destiny, their eternal life. Because the kingdom of God is eternal life. So what is good in God's eyes is not what we can produce out of our natural ability, but what the Spirit does, taking hold of those natural abilities, using them, but infusing them with his supernatural spiritual dynamics. So it's only good in God's eyes when it comes from him. Which is why Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. That flies right in the face, you see, of just having a sort of humanitarian attitude. At a natural level, praise God for all those that do those those things, I mean... It's not being critical. It's just being understanding that as Christians, God is expecting something more of us than that. The problem in, with actually with many ministers, with many clergy, is they are just social workers. They have a social concern and they do a lot of good social work. But unless 
the dynamic of the spirit is in what they're doing, they're not truly fulfilling the purpose of God. Are you there? So it's not a question of being critical of others. It's just understanding that God is not calling us to be social workers. He's causing, calling us to be kingdom workers. Now, kingdom workers will do a lot of social work, but it will be in the, with the dynamic of the kingdom. With the sovereign rule and reign of God. So what does this mean? In my natural life, God doesn't see anything good. I might might want to think that in some ways I'm good. But you see, what does the scripture say? Goodness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. The goodness that God is looking for in our lives is spiritual goodness. The goodness that comes from the initiate of what the Spirit initiates and what the Spirit empowers us to do. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, you see, By their fruit you will know them. All kinds of people think they're so spiritual. They have a spiritual understanding and, you know, they want to study the word and they want to, you know, and most of them end up by being very legalistic. But Jesus says, no, by their fruit you will know them. What do they produce? What do they produce? What kingdom fruit do you see from their lives? How many other lives have been impacted by the kingdom through their life? Listen to those who have impacted many other people with the life of the kingdom. Don't just listen to the critics, to the self-righteous. And certainly don't ever become one of them. Hello. But God's purpose is for us all to be fruitful. So, what do we got to do? Well, I can't put myself to death. Can't put myself to death. And if I've died with Christ, I don't need to put myself to death. So if I've got to reckon myself 
as having died with Christ. What does that mean? Hmm. If the life of his spirit has got to impact my soul, infuse my soul, (coughs) work through my soul, then there mustn't be anything in my soul life that is going to be a contradiction to the spirit. There mustn't be anything in my soul life that is going to hinder the purpose of God for his spirit to be in control of my soul life. Now, if he's not going to make that happen, if he's not going to force that in my life, then I have to decide that that's what I want with my soul I have to make a decision that there will be nothing in my natural life my soul life that will hinder the purpose of God in causing his spirit to work through my soul life in the same way as happened with Jesus. So This means I need to come to a decision to do what Jesus said in Matthew 16. Whoever wants to save his soul will lose it. And whoever loses his soul for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul. Hmm. 
so I'm going to have to lose my soul if I'm going to follow him. Because Jesus says, I can't follow him without losing my soul. Losing myself. So I've got to withstand the soul's desire to retain control. I've got to make a decision to pass the control over to Jesus, the control of my soul life. So it comes under the dominion of his spirit and he can rule and reign. I need to reckon myself dead, having died, so that I'm no longer in charge, but Jesus is in charge. sounds a bit scary but Jesus says if I do that I will find my soul I will save my soul I can only save my soul by losing my soul well that means there isn't any alternative if I really want to see the will and the purpose of God in my life. So I need to just consider a few things here. What do I desire for myself that God does not desire for me. <clears throat> Am I holding on to any desires that are counterproductive to his desire for me? Because if so, I've got to lose those things. Is there anything with my soul life that I want? But he doesn't want for me. Because if he doesn't want those things for me, they've got to go. 
If he is going to completely infuse my soul life in the way that he wants, there can't be things that I want that are a contradiction to what he wants. Hmm. So it really is a question of not my will, but yours be done. Do I have any plans or agendas of my own? that do not originate from the spirit. Because if I have, I've got to lose them. They've got to go. Because the spirit of God is not going to work in my soul life to fulfill my plans or my agendas. It's only going to fulfill the will and the purpose of God. Is there is there some sin? Not that I'm doing, but actually in my flesh I would like to do. And I deny myself by not doing those things and sort of pat myself on the back when I deny myself. But to lose my soul is going beyond denying myself, isn't it? It means I'm even going to lose the desire for those things. I'm not even going to want anything that would grieve my Lord. Ah. I really do need to lose my soul, don't I? So, Lord, I suppose I have to make some decisions. So, it's not I who live. But Christ who lives in me So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And yes, Lord, I understand. <clears throat> I understand now that when that's the case, Your Spirit can work in me and through me in ways that are totally beyond what I see at present. But there'll be nothing in me to hinder 
the riches of what you put in my spirit being revealed in my soul. I see that now. Yeah, and I see, Lord, that I can't even delay in making these decisions, can I? Oh, you're not going to force me, but I'll have no peace with you. Now I understand this. I'll have no peace with you until I make these decisions. Until I really want you to have your way. Oh, so often I've said, have your way, Lord. But deep down, I haven't always meant it, have I? I've still wanted my way in some things. And all that stuff's got to go, hasn't it? Now it really is not my will, but yours. Done. And he said that just before he went to the cross. So, Lord, this is my Gethsemane, isn't it? Can't put myself to death. But I can recognize my complete identification with you in your death. That I'm still trying to hold on to things that you included in your death. Things that have nothing to do with your risen life. And stand in the way of more of your risen life being revealed in me. I see it now. So Lord, I just need your grace. To let go of all these things. To let go of myself really. Not to hold on to anything. Not to try to hold on to control. Because I understand if I try to do that, I'm even trying to control you, your spirit, your kingdom, your presence within me. Who am I? Who am I to try to control you with my soul life? No, I've got to let you take over. I've got to let you have the full control. Thank you, Lord. I don't need any spiritual experience for this to happen. I just need to make the right decisions. And then I can enter into what you've already done. So thank you, Jesus. That I can be totally 
identified with you in your risen life, in your ascended life, in your glorified life, if I'm only willing to be identified with you fully in your death. Lord, what a wonderful gospel. This is good news. That I can come to the end of myself and can see you take over in my life in the way that you have always wanted but would never force. You've waited for me to want what you want. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all pray, shall we? You can just come out of your places. Just get before God and make some decisions. You won't need to go digging and delving. You won't need to look at yourself. You won't need to focus on yourself. Just focus on Jesus. He will show you immediately. Immediately, you probably know already, you probably know already exactly the issues that need to be resolved. So just do business with him right now. For whoever wants to save his soul, his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his soul for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, if he gains everything that he wants, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Lord, I know you want the best for every one of us. That's why you've come to live in our spirits. With your spirit, with the presence of the risen Christ, and to put your kingdom within us. You want the very best for us. 
You don't want anything in our lives that is counterproductive. Those things of self, the things that are centered on self, that hinder our ability to live in your best. We want the best, your best, to be expressed in our lives, Lord. At least I want that in my life. I can't speak for anyone else, but that's what I want, Lord. I want your best. I want to be strong in the spirit because I'm so weak in the soul. Thank you, Jesus. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hallelujah. When I am weak, then I am strong. It's your word. It's your truth, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. So I'm no longer in control. Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you, Lord, I don't have to put myself to death. But just reckon that I've died. Died to all that stuff of self. died to even thinking that I could have any goodness in myself or any righteousness in myself. No, you are my goodness. You are my righteousness. You are my holiness. All I can do is surrender my will to your will.
great love for me. You will save my soul. You will pour forth the life of your spirit through my life, out of my life, like rivers of living water. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Lord. I have died. And my life is now hidden with Christ in God. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. How wonderful. How wonderful. My life is now hidden with Christ. I don't want others to see me, Lord. I want them to see Christ. I want them to see Christ. Because my life is hidden with Christ. In God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. nothing good about me but your goodness Lord your goodness in me yes let your goodness be revealed through me Lord your life Lord your holiness your righteousness Your life, your love, your power. Oh Lord, there's so much that you want to pour through my soul and out of my body. It's rivers of living water. So much, so much. So much more, Lord, that you want to do. So much more. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You have done it all, Lord. You're just asking me to believe what you've already done. To live in the good of what you've done. To live in the good of all that you have imparted and given to me. In the spirit, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Kara bakatiri aletu bakala santo bakala sinema. Bapapara sambari aletu bakala sitiri sandari. Basta galari aletu bakala sitiri sandari aletu bakala sinema. O papara sandaria letto bacala sitri, sandaria letto bacala sitri, santo. O papara sandaria letto bacala sitri, sandaria letto bacala sinema. O papara sandaria letto bacala sitri, santo. O papara sandaria letto bacala sitri, sandaria letto bacala sinema. O papara sandaria letto bacala sitri, santo. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri santo. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandara masutri sandara. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sitri sandama. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. O hallelujah, papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandama. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandama. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. Basta galaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sitri sandama. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandama. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. O papara sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sinema. O hallelujah, hallelujah. Sandaria lero bacala sitri sandaria lero bacala sitri sandama. 
O papara zandari elero bakarasitu di sandama Hallelujah 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 It is for freedom Christ has set me free from myself from my self life He set me free Hallelujah Pura la basandari elero bakarasitu di sandama Oh, papara zandari elero bakalasitu. Oh, papara zandari elero bakalasitu di sanduma. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now in the, in the coming days, the Holy Spirit is likely to show you more of those Soul, soulish things. Just need to go. He won't necessarily have shown you everything all at once, but as <clears throat> the week progresses, don't search within yourself. The scripture tells you not to do that. The Holy Spirit will show you whatever he needs to show you. But when he does, don't resist him. Don't hold on. Let go of whatever he tells you to let go. Sometimes it's going to be letting go of sin or letting go of wrong desires. Maybe even letting go of certain relationships which are not his will. But sometimes it's letting go of things that we've considered to be good, but that are counterproductive to his purpose. Those things of self that are not of him. So Lord, we thank you. You've obviously got great plans for us this week. Hallelujah that we're going to see more and more of the life of your spirit breaking out through our souls. Hallelujah. Breaking through our lives. Now listen. Break out. You want the breakout? Breakout comes before breakthrough and, and yeah, it comes before the harvest, all that God is going to produce. You want God to break out? Yes. Only one way. It's only one way. When did Jesus break out? He broke out from the tomb. Death before breakout. God wants you breaking out of the tomb. 
into his risen life. Death to self, life in him. That's breakout. Even Jesus consigned everything to death. Before breakout and the risen life and the ascended life and the glorified life. So praise God. We break out because we're in the crucified one who was entombed that we can be in the risen one who is victorious. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Now, think. Jesus in the tomb. exactly what he's doing in our lives. Right? Raising us up to live the risen, ascended, glorified, triumphant life. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Come on, let's give him a great blessing. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.